Macworld Podcast, number 21, January 11th, 2006. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, Saruz Faravar. Yesterday, Macworld Expo kicked off right here in San Francisco, and we've got all the action for you right here at Macworld.com and, of course, on the Macworld Podcast. This edition of the Macworld Podcast, we're going to be playing a rather longish, a little bit longer than usual session from our own senior editor, Chris Breen, who did a session on Mac 911. He, of course, has a monthly column by the same name, Mac 911, where he diagnoses all of your problems that people write in to Macworld about. Uh, so he's got a great 45-minute session podcast. Our ones usually are about 20 to 25 minutes. This one will be about a little, almost double in length. And he's going to be covering a wide range of topics, printing windows, Tiger keycaps alternatives, CD-less repair, and even DVD ripping. He's got lots of stuff that he's going to cover, and we're going to play his entire session that he did from the Macworld show floor for you on the podcast right now. So um, I'm Chris Breen. I am a, a senior editor for Macworld magazine, and um, I also work for PlaylistMag.com. And I just generally am a guy that does stuff about the Mac. And so we're here to do stuff about the Mac. And I also write a column for Macworld called Mac 911, which is a tips and troubleshooting column. So I'm going to give you some of uh, my favorite Mac tips and tricks. And if we have time, these are 45-minute sessions. If we have time, I'll take some of your questions. And you can ask me why your Mac doesn't work. And I will say I have no idea. Um, but I will say it in a really long kind of way so that I sound sympathetic and um, you sound like a kind of a nag. And that's how we work things out in this column because I am, you know, the sympathetic character and you are the nag. Uh, anybody not using OS X? Anybody from... Okay. I just, I just, I mean, I sort of have to set the, the, the ground rules here. It's like, okay, we're all using OS X? Yes, yes. Um, anybody using a Mac with an Intel processor? How'd you do that? How did you do that? Oh, you're the, okay. Well, those don't—they don't really work, right? I mean, just so they scratch. Sort of Steve scratches on the outside. Intel. It's, yeah, and you never bother to look inside, do you? Because it works. Hey, look! It runs. Th- it runs this G5 stuff natively because it's actually a G5, and it's just Intel inside scratching the outside. Okay, so we will not be covering any Intel-related things today because we don't do that. Um, so, this is what we're going to talk about today. Talk about printing your windows, which is an old OS 9 thing that you can actually do in OS 10. And a lot of people say, how come I can't print my windows? Well, you can. Uh, we'll talk about Tiger's keycaps alternative. And this is like another OS 9 kind of thing. It's like, oh, I used to do that in OS 9, but now I can't do it in OS 10. And how come? We'll talk about reusing iMovie clips, removing bogus mail addresses in the mail app. Who's using mail? Apple's mail? Okay. Uh, you should change. It's... Bad meal program. Um, what, other, what other meal programs? Entourage? Anybody? Come on. It's okay. Yeah, I, I do too. I will wave proudly. I use a Microsoft product. Uh, what? Eudora? Any Eudora users here? Yeah, proud. Yes, we are. Eudora users are the proudest people on earth. It's, a, it's like a religion to them. I still use Eudora and I love it. And the reason you haven't switched is because you have 80 jillion messages in Eudora and you can't transition out, right? Is that it? Is it just. You love it. Okay, good. Their filtering is, is really good. 
Um, we will also be talking about the 24-hour clock in mail. So again, for this one person who uses mail, uh, we'll be doing that. SMTP rate relaying, which is very important here at uh, any time you're traveling. CD-less repair. Full-screen QuickTime movies on the cheap. Skipping the drip. Inky-dinky parlez-vous. And you'll understand what these mean when we get to it. And DVD ripping and you, because people want to know how to rip DVDs. Okay, so we'll start with the easy one. This is printing windows. In OS 9, they had a print window command. It's not there in OS 10. Can't do it. However, if you launch the printer setup utility, which is found in this little slashy slashy thing, means the path name. So go to your applications folder to utilities. From the printer list window, you select the printer you want to use. And I have graphics for this, so if you're more of a graphics-oriented person, you'll see that. You choose printers, and then the submenu is create desktop printer. Once you've done that, you can drag stuff to this desktop printer. You can drag a, a folder within a file, uh, within a window. It will print the contents of that window. So it looks like this. So step one is you open the printer utility. You select your printer. Up there is my HP printer. Step two is you select create desktop printer, and that creates that little doodad there on the desktop. And if you blow it up, it looks just like your printer, unless it doesn't. And then you can take an open window, and you'll see a little folder up there. And those little folder icons are actually live things. They're not just decoration. So you can then take that folder icon from the menu bar, drag it down onto the desktop printer. Once you do that, the contents of that window or that folder print out in a nice little sheet of paper right there. Um, you can also do this with umpteen utilities. If you go to version tracker or Mac update, you will also find utilities for doing this. But this is the free way to do it because it's a service that's provided by the Mac OS. I'm glad to see you're having your fruit today because Expo is not a fruit sort of event. It's kind of a high carb, high fat, high alcohol, if you're me, and um, little sleep. So good for you. You're getting your potassium, which is very important. Okay, Tiger's keycaps alternative. In OS 9, there was this little keycaps thing that let you see hidden characters. So, for example, you're working on your keyboard, and you want to see, you want to have, like, the copyright sign, or you want to have the registered mark, and you have no idea how to do this. Previously, before Tiger, there actually was still a keycaps, and you could launch the thing, and it would work. So if you, anybody not using... Tiger, do we have any sort of holdouts on Panther or you? Are you using OS 9? And 8.12, it's time to get with it. Tiger on Well, you're, you're running Tiger. Well, what do you do? What, you're running Windows the rest of the time or what? Linux? Panther. Okay, well, this is for you then. For those of you who still have your old Panther stuff or even your old Jaguar stuff, um, there is a keycaps utility in there that will still run under Tiger. When you do a clean install of Tiger, it's not there. It's like, whoop, see it, it's gone. Um, so you can still run keycaps, but if you don't want to do that, you can go into system preferences, go into the international system preference, and the international system preference is maybe the weirdest system preference there is. They throw everything in there that doesn't fit somewhere else, thinking that maybe that's the way they do it in France. So that's, I think that's the justification. It's like, well, they do it in Poland, they do it this way. Or in France, they do it this way. And therefore, we are going to put the clock in there. Or we're going to put this, you know, we're going to reformat your hard drive by doing it in Finnish. So if you need this sort of thing, 
if you go into the international, and then go into the input menu tab, which is that little blue tab up there, select keyboard viewer. It's a little palette. And then you go up into your menu bar where you have the little flag that shows up. You've all seen the little flag? Yes? No? It's a way to show your patriotism if you care to. You want a little U.S. flag in your menu bar and say, you know, go for us. Or, you know, Canada, if you feel that way about it. Or France. Or Australia. And it will show up there. And you select that. And then at the bottom of that menu, there will be show keyboard viewer. Once you select that thing, up pops this. Now, this is the big version of it. The reason I put that little red circle around there is because that's the grow button. Normally, when you select this thing, the keyboard is about this big. It's really, really, really small. And so you press an option key, and you see all the weird little characters. Well, that's great, except it's really tiny. So use the grow box, and it gets to be this big. And I did this tip um, on the Mac 911 blog um, on Macworld, and, and somebody who was... Uh, approaching my age was saying, I can't see it. It's just too tiny. And they make it really tiny because they don't want it to take up your entire um, screen. But if you use the grow box, you're cool. Okay, reusing iMovie clips. This was a better tip about um, three and a half hours ago. But it's still okay, I think. I don't know for sure. It used to be... And probably none of you have the new iMovie, right? Except the developer, right? He's, he's had it for... Oh, he's gone. Okay. So those of you who don't yet have the new iMovie, which is all of us, um, it used to be that in iMovie you could have a single project open, which was a drag because... Well, it wasn't a drag. Because you'd have clips in one movie and you say, well, that's great, I like this clip, but I want it over in this movie too because I want to create different versions of this movie. So you want to create like the director's cut, which has everything, you know, and it has way too much because everybody needs an editor. Or you get sort of the condensed version, or um, if you're Paris Hilton, you know, there's the version you make for your parents, and then there's the version for the Internet, which is different. So you may want to reuse some of these clips. Well, the easy way to do that is you just simply collect, you select one of these clips, you do a copy and paste, you open a new project, and you just paste the thing in, or you do a copy and then you paste it in. Or you can take the clip and you can drag it to the desktop. Well, why do it a harder way? Well, one reason is that when you drag a clip or you copy and paste a clip, you're getting the edited version of that clip. So if you've got a clip and you've applied brightness and contrast and any number of, say, G3 effects to the thing, and you've cut it, that's what you're going to get. You'll get the affected clip. You're not going to get the full raw clip that you may want. So, for example, if you're doing the director's cut, you want the full clip because you want this thing to be seven hours instead of 90 minutes. So you don't use this method if you want the full clip. Instead, you select the clip and you do a command I. So you get, you're doing a get info on this thing. Once in there, you look for the name of the media file. In this case, it will be something like still16.dv or whatever. It will be, you know, clip25.dv. Once you've got that, you locate the project file that this is in, and you control-click on it. Anybody still using a single-button mouse? I, I so want to stop saying control-click because it's so dumb. Okay, good for you. Except for you. Time for you to trade up, buddy. You need a multi-button mouse. So we're just going to say right-click. So you right-click on a project file. And once you do that, the right-click... This is so 
such a wonderful thing is it's that, and if you haven't used this command, you should memorize it, view package contents. So anything where you think, oh, this is a single file. No, it's not. It's a package. There's a bunch of stuff in there that's really cool to look around at. So you right-click on it, and you say view package contents. Once you get into the package contents, and there it is, our show package contents, then you look within there, and you look into a media file. There'll be a media folder in there, and once you're in the media folder, you find the clip that you've memorized this name, right? Still clip, still 16.dv. Now you've got the raw clip. If we go backwards, if you were to have selected this named clip up here, that's the edited version. So 04 dot blah, blah, blah. That's the one that's edited. That's not the one you want if you're looking for the raw clip. Instead, you want the other name in there. So once you've got that thing, you can use that as your raw stuff, and then you can re-edit it. So you get the full clip. You can then cut it down if you want. You can apply a different set of effects to it, and you're set. Okay. Because you still use mail... I can tell by the stickers that you just... Anything that Apple does is... You're good with that, right? Okay. I'm sure that mail is going to get... Mail is really better than it, than it was. It's a lot better. I just, it's not mine, but I'm, a lot of my colleagues use it. Um, but one thing it does is that if you've typed in the wrong email address, one of the cool things that mail does is that it memorizes email addresses you punched in, which is great because then it has autofill. Later, instead of having to type in Joe Blow at blah, 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 dot com, you just start typing Joe and like, bink, it autofills. And that's really great unless you've typed in the wrong name. And then it autofills the wrong name. So then you have to click on it and up comes a little menu offering you the various choices. Well, if you know a lot of people named Joe, all those Joe entries show up and you have to go, okay, that one, even though you only really want to have one Joe in your, in your clip, in your address book. So what you do is you select from the previous, uh, from the Windows menu, or the Windows menu, you select previous recipients and then remove from list. This deletes it from your cache. So now when you're typing in stuff, it's going to disappear. You can do something similar in Safari. A lot of times you've got these bogus addresses in Safari. Or maybe web addresses that you would prefer other members of your family did not see. You may be typing something in and it autofills, but that's not what you wanted. You wanted something two or three down. So what you do is you let it autofill, go to wherever that thing is, and then on the left side, and this is under Tiger, the latest version, you click on it and you can remove it. Oh, sorry, you right-click on it, and then there's an option to remove that from, your, um, from the database. You can get rid of it. 24-hour clock in mail. I have no idea why anybody would want to do this unless you're like a military geek or you're European. Any Europeans here? Anybody of European descent here? Right, okay, and you don't even know where you're from, do you? Just no, not a clue. You're like, okay. Uh, my guess is, no, I have no, not, not Madagascar. Um, but there are some people, I mean, there's some people that, uh, any ex-military here? Okay, so are you, you know, does the 24-hour clock sort of, do you embrace this or, or do you run away and screaming when you're here? Okay, so maybe you're a 24-hour clock sort of person and say, yeah, I, I like that. I like that idea of knowing exactly what hour and being very exact instead of, it's two. Well, two when? Is it two in the afternoon, two in the morning? I don't know. 
unless I look outside. So for those of you who don't want to look outside, who have an uneven sleep schedule and want to know exactly what time it is, if you want to know that it's 22 o'clock, this is the way to do it. You go to System Preferences, International, once again, we're back in that international catch-all kind of thing and go into formats. And again, I've got little pictures of this stuff. You click the Customize button next to Times, choose Short from the pop-up menu, and click on the hour numeral to reveal a pop-up menu that begins with 1 through 12. This custom region will, call, will cause mail to show 24-hour time. It will also show 24-hour time in your menu bar. So you're cha- I mean, you're going 24-hour. You know, this is, not, this is no small commitment. So, once again, formats within the international. Hit the Customize button. Up there in the hour thing where it shows you 7 o'clock p.m., there's a pop-up menu there. And you can ch- check different time formats, and you check 1 through 24. If you want to do it another one, if you want to do 0 through 23 which I believe is Icelandic time, feel free. It's your Mac. Live how you want to live. And once you do that, you will see that we now have 24-hour time in mail. Why you'd want to do it, I don't know. But I try to make this kind of a full-service session that have useful tips as well as tips that are totally useless. And I would say that's probably one of them. Okay, but this one is useful. Here you are, you're out on the road... And you get to your hotel, and you're trying to send out through your regular email account. And it's, uh, you get back an error that says, I'm sorry, can't do, because this service does not allow relaying. So what that means is that you're trying to send your email through the hotel's ISP, through their service. It is then trying to relay it to your regular ISP to send it out their SMT service. Well, it won't allow that to happen, because this is one of the ways that spam happens. The people, all the spammers often use relaying, going through a certain ISP to relay to another to send it out to cover their tracks. So sort of as a, as a very broad stroke to keep people from checking into hotels, spending $300 a night, and sending out a million spam messages. Instead, what they do is they block port 25 in SMTP. When you block, and that's the traditional SMTP port. You block 25, and that relaying thing comes up and says, sorry, can't do it. Well, in the past, what a lot of people did is they would maintain an old AOL account or an Earthlink account or something, or they use webmail. And webmail is kind of a pain for a lot of people to use. It is for me. I don't like using it. I like my stuff locally. I'm that kind of you know, anal retentive. Give me my mail on my computer and stay away from it. So all you have to do is change the SMT port, SMTP port in most cases. And one that works often is 2525. So in mail, when you go in this... If you're in Entourage, if you're in Eudora, wherever, go into your mail preferences, into your accounts preferences, look for outgoing mail or SMTP, and you set it to 2525 and see if that takes care of the problem. If it doesn't, get on the web, Google, and look for something like, look up SMTP rate relaying, and you'll see that there are another series of ports that you can try to use it. But 2525 is usually pretty good. Okay. CD-less repair. This came from a, a question from Mac911 where somebody wrote in and they said, um, I dropped my power book. And when I dropped my power book, I dis- everything was good except it was dented and I destroyed the media drive. So they were using Disk Warrior and that was their repair tool. 
well, they can't use it because it's on a disc, it's on a CD, and it wouldn't run because they had destroyed their media drive. They wanted to find out what else was wrong with their, with their power book, and they couldn't do it. And people, you know, routinely is sort of, this is the fallback position whenever a Mac goes south, is to use FireWire target disc mode. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's setting up two Macs so that one Mac's drive acts as a local volume on the other Mac. So I would connect two things via FireWire cable, set up target, FireWire target disk mode, and as far as I'm concerned, this Mac believes that this drive on this Mac is local. It belongs to this one. It's just another hard drive. So if you connect the two of them, so here's my broken Mac, and here's the one that's okay, I boot this one with the T key held down. Right? And there's a FireWire cable connecting the two. Hold it down with the T key. Up comes a little, not, it's not tiki like the tiki room, but rather T key. Up comes uh, a little FireWire symbol that bounces around. It's very cute. It's a nice little screensaver. And it's something you can show off to your friends, and they'll think you are such a geek. How did you do that? Oh, it's a secret. It is so geeky. So you do that, and then you boot your other Mac, and when it comes up, there will be the hard drive for this Mac over here on your desktop looking just like a FireWire drive. It will come up with a little FireWire icon and say, that's what I want. Once you've done that, you can use the repair utilities on this Mac to fix this Mac because as far as this Mac is concerned, this is just another FireWire drive. So you can run Disk Warrior, you can run Tech Tool. Uh, anybody work for Symantec? Okay, you cannot run Norton Utilities because it's poison. And um, no, it's no, it is poison. They're not here. I don't think they're even here. Are they Symantec? They've they've pretty much given up. Although I'm glad that they continue to put out Norton antivirus to protect me from all the viruses that are floating around for OS X. That may happen someday. Anybody using Norton anything? Come on. Okay, well, see, it does do something. It exercises your Mac. As Dwayne tells us, it uses 60% of your CPU cycles. So if you were concerned that you weren't getting your money's worth out of your computer, Norton, Utility, or Norton Antivirus takes care of that for you. It runs your, your Mac constantly looking for something that isn't there. And it's not often that you get to spend that kind of money on something that doesn't do you any damned good at all. So, uh, I wish they were here, and I would, you know, refer you to them to sort of ask that question like, why do I need this again? And they say, well, you know, someday, because more people are looking at OS X, and they're going to get you someday. It's like, well, let's see, you've been selling this thing for like 12 years, and so far I've gotten bupkis out of it. Um, but I'm hoping that there'll be a virus so that it will someday pay off, and then, you know, I can say, look, I got infected, but it's okay now. Sure, this thing crashed my Mac for the past 12 years, but that's good because I'm protected from something. And that's my screed about Norton anything. Oh, except I, while we're on the subject of Norton, Norton Utilities, um, they have that live update thing. Anybody ever use Norton Utilities at any time in their life? Yeah. Okay. At one time, they, they introduced this new feature, and they said, oh, we've got live update. Now, if you're a Windows user, this is vital because viruses come out like every six seconds for, uh, for Windows. And you have to have Norton or something like that. I run Norton stuff on my PC and I'm happy with it. 
however, this came out for the Mac, and they said, oh, yeah, we'll get this in. It's a big feature. So I did a review, and it was probably for Mac user at the time. And I just said, this, what, what is this for? You guys update Norton Utilities once every two and a half years. So, well, you know, this is the big feature that you're offering me? I mean, other than the fact that, it, that you've wrecked my Mac with it? Well, no, no, no. Honestly, you know, we're, we're going to be much more vigilant. Well, of course, it was another two and a half years before they updated the thing, and it was, as I predicted, totally useless. Um, how many of you are cheapskates? Good. Me too. All right, good. Uh, how many of you own Quick... How many of you are cheapskates who will not buy QuickTime Pro? Yeah, okay. There are a lot of good reasons for buying QuickTime Pro. There, I mean, I, if, if I had to... You know, break my cheapskate ways, I would do it to buy QuickTime Pro because I think it's a, a very valuable utility for doing a lot of stuff. Encoding and decoding, it's, it's vital. However, one of the things that QuickTime Pro does is it will show full-screen full QuickTime movies, and you can't do that with a free version. You can watch the little movies, which is fine, but sometimes if you've bought that 30-inch display, and honestly, if you bought a 30-inch display and you're carping about 30 bucks for QuickTime Pro... You've, I mean, your cheapskatedness has become pathological. You're, you know, you're sort of cheating somebody to cheat somebody else. Not good. So if you get the cinema display, you have to buy QuickTime Pro too. Otherwise, I'm going to be sorely disappointed in every person who refuses to do that. But if you're a cheapskate and you have a really cheap Mac, if you're going to go out and get the new iMac and you say, ah, you know, I, I drained my child's college fund to buy this, but I'm happy because I have a fast Mac... You can run this little Apple scripty thing here. And this is the script. And it's a very simple Apple script. Tell application, QuickTime player, present front movie, scale screen, and tell. So you save the script as an application. You open the movie you want to view in full screen in QuickTime player, and then you double script the Apple script application you just created, and your movie will play in full screen. Okay, so the two benefits you just saved 30 bucks. And you've done something that borders on being geeky, even though you copied it from me. So copying something geeky is just as good as being a real geek yourself. Because again, you sort of tell people that, oh yeah, I did this. And you did, in a way. But nothing is original anyway. I mean, none of these jokes are original. It's just, so feel free. Okay, skip the drip. Um, there are enough people around my age in this audience that I think you're, af you're aware of the group, the Moody Blues. Yes. Okay. The Moody Blues had this way of on every... Except you. You don't even know. You've heard it? Did your parents ever tell you about these people? Good. Okay. Well, what they may have done is that when you were a child, they may have played um, some Moody Blues to put you to sleep. Because with every kind of big anthem that they did... Anybody, anybody a member of the Moody Blues here? Just... Are you in the movie blues? Thank God. Because I rip on these guys all the time. Um, I love your music, though. It's fabulous. Except they did this really drippy poetry. And they would do this sort of... I don't know who... I, I, it, was, it was in somebody's contract. You know, it's like, we're allowed six minutes of drippy poetry on every album. So what we would like to do is I would do this sort of English recitation. And it was, it was great then... In 1968, it was great, because in 1968, we were in a different place, I think a chemically induced place. But now that we've all sobered up, it's not so great. You know, so we love, like, Nights in White Satin, but we don't want to hear the two minutes of drippy poetry that started off because it's bad. 
I mean, it's sort of like, you know, it's like the Grateful Dead where, you know, you sober up and say, this sucks, right? Yeah. So it does. And Moody Blues poetry was not good. Um, and that's why it didn't get printed in a book, you know, unlike Rod McEwen, for example, who was great. See, and I can only tell Rod McEwen jokes to, like, you. Like, everyone's like, who? Well, I know you get it because you're old. And I bet you have one of his books, don't you? Feel the Warm. Is that yours? You have one? I do. I have a copy of Feel the Warm, which is just something. If you think the Moody Blues is bad, just wait. Um, so anyway, the idea is what you want to do is when you go into iTunes, because we're, we're moving all our mov- music into iTunes, you want to cut off the drippy bits. And even if you don't have the drippy bits, um, a lot of modern music now has sort of the adventurous opening where they'll do like really noisy stuff for about 30 seconds, which is okay. But if you want to kind of get to the meat of the song and skip that stuff, you can cut it off within iTunes. So that actually altering the file, you're just simply saying, I want you to start here instead of here. So you bring up the song information window, you click the options tab, and it looks like this. You just alter the start time and the stop time within iTunes, and that changes. So every time you play it back, and this it goes for your iPod as well. So if you sync it to your iPod, when it plays back, it will then play where you told it to at the 30-second mark and stop wherever you've told it to play as well. Um, this is particularly useful if you, um, if you purchase audible.com books. If you have audible.com, you know that the first 30 seconds is them advertising audible.com. This is another production from Audible.com. And you really want to get to the story. Like, I, I got Winnie the Pooh for my daughter. And there's, there's this long about, you know, this is the original version and this is this. And, I just, and this little tinkly piano music. I just want to get to the story because my daughter is sick of the little tinkly piano music. And she doesn't care that it came from Audible.com. So I can go in there and cut out the first 48 seconds. And then we start in with, with Winnie the Pooh. And she's happy. So this is a useful thing for anything where you just want to get rid of the dreck. Um, podcasts, you can do the same thing. If there's an opening little bit at the end or a big advertising at the end, cut it back if you want to. Okay, this is another sort of uh, cute tip. Yes. Oh, can you do it with a scrub bar and just delete it? No, because iTunes doesn't allow you to edit. So what if you wanted to do, I mean, if you wanted to be permanent about this, you would export the tune out of iTunes, bring it into an audio editor, then you have to cut that part just and then delete it. However, if you've got, uh, if you've got a, a track that was purchased from the iTunes Music Store, you can't do that because you can't edit it because it has copy protection on it. So if you were to do something conceivably, this is just theoretical, mind you. Let's suppose you had a copy of iMovie. And let's suppose that you imported songs from your iTunes library that are protected into iMovie. Just suppose. And let's suppose that you put a single frame of a still picture in iMovie. Suppose. And let's suppose you then exported that as an AIFF file. Let's suppose that doing that removes the copy protection from the songs that you purchased from the iTunes Music Store. In that case, you could then supposedly take that into an audio editor because it's now an AIFF file that has lost its copy protection, and you could then edit it. But again, this is all theoretical. So, you know, I have no idea if it would really work. 
you were taking notes? Yes? I didn't put that up here. Okay. Okay, so this is... Um, I, I run something called the Mac Brainiac Challenge every year. We're doing it this Thursday at 9.30. And uh, I'm playing with the Mac World All-Stars the night before. So I'm going to be a wreck Thursday morning. So I hope you'll come too so we can sort of share our misery. Um, last year, I, I offered this question to them. I said, um, how do you make the ink, ink system preference or ink work on your PowerBook? They were given straight PowerBooks with no graphics tablet. So the ink normally works only if you would plug a graphics tablet into it. So that was a question, make ink work. And they're like, Bleh. and I actually stumped them. This is the one question I stumped them with. So because you probably are interested in this sort of trivia, you would navigate to the system slash library slash core services slash menu extras. And there's some good stuff in there. It's worth dinking around within that folder because there's some cool stuff that you didn't know you owned. Hello. Um, once you get in there, click on the ink menu item. And an ink icon will appear in the menu bar, just like you have a graphics tablet. And you can't do anything with it except sort of go, ooh, look what I, look what I could have done if I had a graphics tablet. And you can do all this stuff. You can do handwriting on your tablet, and it shows up there, and you can input through handwriting. And about two minutes of this, you will realize what a totally useless function this is. Because unless you have... I think unless you're like a, uh, a sloth who has you know, these claws, and so you would type like this, we can all type faster than we can write by this point. right? I mean, if this is 1978... I think it could be you know, a race for some people. But by now, we pretty well know how to type. But if you wanted to, you could bring up this ink preference, and you could say, ah, this is what I've been missing. And what you've been missing is nothing. But you can bring it up just so you can feel like you're getting your money's worth out of OS X. Because you paid for it. You want to see every darn system preference in there. And now you can. Okay, so this is the one that we really want to get to. DVD ripping and you. Anybody work for the motion picture industry? No. RIAA? No. Okay, good. Anybody own a DVD, a commercial DVD? No. Pay attention. Anybody own a commercial DVD? This is a movie. One of those movie discs? Okay. Some people are sleeping. All right. So commercial DVDs, as you probably know, are copy protected. If you try to copy the thing, you can't because they have something called macrovision protection on them. Some people will tell you that it's a problem backing these things up. For example, you've purchased your commercial CD, DVD, and you have a four-year-old daughter, and I do. She is sticky. Her entire body is sticky. That's what they do. They, they attract stick. They're, mag they're stick magnets. And no matter where they are, you can put them in a clean room at Intel and they will still come out covered in jam. It's a, it's a vortex thing. I don't, it's a dimensional thing, but they come out covered in jam. And the first thing they do when they're covered with jam or honey is they find your prized DVD. No matter what it is, and you've, hit, you've hidden it away way up there, but they have a way of levitating. And up they go, and they've grabbed it, and they've grabbed your, your prized copy of Casablanca. And you wanted to watch it that night, and they open it up, and they smear things on there. And that's not enough, because they know smearing isn't enough. So what? after they get sticky, then they start attracting dirt and particles, like sand, so that they have sort of a, 
a sandpaper quality to them. And then they start rubbing it around so they scratch it really well. And then they clean it off and put it back where it was. And so you come back and you say, oh, great, oh, Casablanca. And it goes, boop, 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 boop. Done. There, the movie, I mean, the good, good side is it's over quickly. The bad thing is you've missed the whole thing because it skips so much. Now, if you're the motion picture industry, they would say, well, just buy another copy because they make money when you do. So for them, that makes sense. So they like four-year-olds. They are, they are promoting this whole stickiness. It may be coming from them. But if you're somebody who's bought Casablanca for the fifth time, you finally say, enough is enough. I want to be able to back up my stuff because I own it. This is my stuff. And fair use, according to the laws of old in copyright, allows you to make archival copies for yourself. You're not allowed to make a copy and give it to somebody else. You're breaking the law, and you're a bad person if you do that. However, creating a backup copy for yourself, so when the sticky monster comes, you're cool. It's like, okay, go, stick ahead. Go ahead. Just stick that one up. I got another one. I'm going to make another copy of that. So specifically, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act tells us that you cannot produce software that will break copy protection. However, you can use it. That's okay. You just can't produce it. So as long as you're not out there writing software that will allow you to break copy protection, you're good. If you happen to find some software, it's okay to use it for archival purposes according to fair use, so we believe, but the DMCA has not been fully tested in the court. So I may be telling you something that is bad. If so, do that and just don't pay attention. So, there are some tools you can use on the Mac to remove copy protection. Um, you can use Mac the Ripper. It's free. You can find it on Version Tracker. You can find it on Mac Update. Um, you can use Handbrake, which I use specifically for ripping stuff to iPod because it's a good way to do it. You can also use DVD XDV, which will convert a movie and change it into something for, uh, that's compatible with iMovie or Final Cut Pro. If you do it in iMovie, iMovie has a certain gigabyte limit for clips, so it will come out in like 10 clips, and then you have to combine them all somewhere. Once a DVD is ripped in an unprotected format, or you've ripped a DVD that you've created that isn't protected, you can then use Roxio's Toast Titanium 7 to export a copy of the movie to your hard drive, and within Toast, it has a, it's combined the function of an old program in there is called Popcorn that will then condense that movie so it will sit on, fit on a single-sided DVD. The, the media that we most use is 4.7 gigabytes as a single-sided. Commercial DVDs are often dual-layer, so they're much bigger. We have, we're starting to get dual-layer now, but the discs are still expensive. Oh, no, what it will do is it will compress it down to a single DVD. So you, when doing this, you will lose some quality. It's not going to look great because you're taking the, the information, you're compressing it. So it's not going to look as good. Okay, so the, the really important... How many of you have video iPod, I mean, sorry, iPods with video? 5G iPods? Okay. Increasingly, people are going to get them more often because they're just great. They're very cool. Handbrake is good for this. It's the best tool there is for commercial DVDs as it removes protection, one, and it encodes at the same time. And it's free. It's open source. Podner is okay, it's 10 bucks, but you have to use another tool first, like Mac the Ripper. Once you've done that to remove the protection, then you can uh, rip it for your iPod. Apple's QuickTime Pro, again, once you remove the protection, 
makes a really nice file in H.264, which is their codec, but it takes forever. It's an overnight process. Um, Handbrake will do it on a fast Mac in about an hour. Podner is a little bit longer. QuickTime is all night. You'll get a great-looking thing at the end. Now, the trick with, with Handbrake is that um, on the iPod, there's certain limitations to, how, uh, to your settings. They, Apple, will tell, Apple recommends that when you're doing an H.264 movie that it be 320 by 240 at a maximum bit rate of 768 kilobits per second. If that means nothing to you, I'm sorry. If you're doing an MPEG-4 movie, which is the other format that the iPod will support, it, Apple suggests that you can do 480 by 480, that's screen size, and an average bit rate of 2,500 kilobits per second. Two things to note here. That those kilobits per second, those are average. So a lot of times people will take a movie that brought it into Handbrake and they say, well, it doesn't work. I set, I set the setting for H.264, 320 by 240 at 768. Well, you've exceeded the average. If you've got so much data that it slops over past 768, it's not going to work. And you'll try to bring it into the iPod and the iPod will say, forget, I can't do it. I won't accept this. Same thing on the average bit rate of 2,500. If you, if you set it for 2,500 and you exceed that, the iPod won't understand what to do with it. So here's the really geeky part of this, because we have to have this geeky element. Apple's recommendations are only recommendations. They aren't the actual limits of what the iPod will do. Instead, the iPod's limits are based on something called macro blocks. It's not based on resolution of the frame. It's rather the number of macro blocks. And a macro block is a 16 by 16 pixel block. Right, so we all know what a pixel is. So 16 by it's a little square block of information. So for H.264 video, it's a 300 macro block limit. So you have to do the math. Did I put the math on this one? No, I didn't. Okay, so the math is you take height divided by 16 in parens times width divided by 16 in parens. So you multiply that. If you come out to the on H.264, if you come out under 300 macro, macro blocks, you're good. On MPEG-4, if you come out under 900 macro blocks, you're good. So that means that you can, if you have a widescreen movie, you can actually take an, an MPEG-4 movie, and it can be 720 by 310 or something. And so you can actually scale these things up higher. Why do it? On a on an iPod with video, it makes no sense to do this because the iPod will always scale it down to 320 by 240. So don't bother. Just do it in H.264. Make sure your average bit rate is a little lower and you're fine. However, if you're going to output to a television and you do it high resolution, it looks great on the TV. So if you're traveling and you've got your iPod with video and you go to your hotel and you want to watch Harry Potter or you want to watch... Lord of the Rings or whatever, you plug the thing into the television, if you've ripped it at a high enough resolution at that 720 or about 640, it looks really good on your TV. If you do it at H.264, it doesn't look so good. There's a lot of banding, there's a lot of blocks in it. Um, if you go with Apple's recommendation of 480 by 480 on MPEG-4, it's, again, a little better, but it's still not great. So rip at the highest resolution you can if you're going to output to TV. If you're going to do it on the iPod, don't worry about it. And my time is Almost up, I have exactly two and a half minutes. So if anybody has a question, and, and I can hear what you're asking me, I will come over here. 
Oh, the question is, what do I think about handbrake light for the iPod? I think it's fine. Um, the only thing about handbrake light is it's free and so is handbrake. So usually when, I mean, because I'm a little geeky, I tend to go with the most powerful tool I can use. And because I really want to tweak my video within an inch of its life for my iPod, I use the standard handbrake because it gives me the option to get in there and, and adjust those resolutions that I can't do with handbrake light. But handbrake light, is, it's easy. You can just go, do that, okay, done. So for the done part, I mean, do it, done is, is great. Oh, yeah. He also mentions that handbrake has cropping. Um, there actually is one of the utility that has cropping, and I've forgotten the name of it. It just came out a while ago, but it was a pay, I think it was 20 bucks. So handbrake will allow you to cut out, um, oftentimes if you rip stuff, particularly movies that you've created, you'll see that little bit of shimmer at the top, the, first, the top three rows of pixels. You can crop that stuff out. It sort of makes it... Right. Right. ITV recordings, as he says, will have bars on the side as well. Um, one of the things about the, the iPod with video <coughs> is that on there, there's a widescreen option, and then you can turn that on or off. If you turn that widescreen off and you have a widescreen movie, it actually cuts off the sides of the movie. So that's not so good if you've got your main character sort of operating on the side because they go off toward the side of your iPod, and then they're gone, and they may not come back. So you want to make sure that they, they can come back because um, otherwise you've got just, you know, this scenery for like an hour with nobody in it and that makes for a dull movie so thank you very much for coming we're going to uh what are we doing next thanks uh the next thing we're gonna do we're gonna have a 15 minute break and then sarus our buddy sarus farvar from um macworld is going to be um conducting the macworld live podcast i'm not sure who his guests are but there will be a live podcast here and you're welcome to be here. Also, we're going to be doing giveaway. This is the first session we're doing, so we're sort of figuring this out. Um, every day we're going to do a giveaway at 1.45. We're giving something away. I don't think you even care what it is. Because if you're like typical expo people, I could give you an old paper towel. And you would say, yeah, because it's free and you're here. If you, anybody here like three or four years ago when I was doing Macworld Live and I was giving stuff away? Yeah, I, I gave out the worst crap, and people just thought it was so great. And so, um, but we're going to give out better stuff because these are like vendor things. These aren't just like stuff I'm going to throw at you. Um, so, 145, we're going to do a giveaway every day. Also, at 4 o'clock, we do a giveaway every day. We have little handout schedules of what's happening in the theater every day. Uh, come on by, we're always going to have good content. Um, I'm going to be up here a bunch, and if you don't show up, I'm just going to be talking to nobody and I'll feel lonely. So I'm, I'm playing on your sympathy here. So thanks. Thank you, Chris, for doing that great session on Mac 911. That was from Tuesday, January the 10th. We're going to be, of course, having more podcasts this week from the show floor. We're going to be having a special video podcast tomorrow on January the 12th. Again, if you are here in town at the show, please come say hi to us. We would love to hear from our readers and our listeners. I will be at the show at various times. Come find me. Ask for me. I'll be around. Our booth is number 807. It's as you're entering the South Moscone through Hall B. If you take a left, it's right there, right at the front. It's real obvious, real big. 
come get a free copy of Macworld. And, of course, we have giveaways at various times during the day. Check the schedule for all of that. Also, for complete Macworld coverage, no matter where you are, complete Expo coverage all this week can be found at macworld.com slash expo. And we've got our blogs from our various editors, of course, podcasts, uh, articles, news reviews, all kinds of things. So make sure and check all of that out. We're going to, of course, have the also Best of Show Awards coming up later in the week. So stay tuned for that. Lots of excitement. We're still on day two. We've got a couple more days of the show. So you can find, of course, all the news right here at Macworld.com. Signing off from San Francisco, this is Saru Faravar for the Macworld Podcast.